The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. I want to get into the Word this morning. I'm excited to get into the Word. Every time we come together, there's such an anticipation for something great, something fantastic to take place, and this morning is no different. Uh, I want us to see something specific in the Word. It's going to have some promise to it. Uh, I want to get into the Word here and, and share in some things, and I want you to know something, that, that when we come together, there is a, a preparation that has taken place in order to, to pursue what God is stirring uh, and, and that's always understood. But I want to do something that we don't normally do, and maybe we'll begin to normally do this. This could become the norm. But before we get into this, I want to ask you to, to agree with me in a word of prayer really, really quickly. Uh, and don't let the, the quickness of the prayer communicate to you any kind of casualness. It's really serious. So I just want to pray this. You're welcome to join with me in agreement. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word has the power to change everything in our life for the better. And we thank you for this power that you have given us through the prophets, through these words that are recorded, through your spoken word to us. Let it all confirm together as one message that you would be releasing to us individually and as a body. And we ask that any hindrance to receiving your word this morning in our hearts or in our minds would be covered by your mercy. That it would, that it would melt away and that we would be receptive let us be receptive as we get into your word to be forever changed in the way that you would bring us into the likeness of Jesus Christ. We bless you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I want to give you a few things that we're going to find in the word this morning. So these are things that you can look for as we go through some scripture together. Okay, so if you're taking notes, which I strongly encourage, note-taking does some great things. It helps you to recall things that are easily forgotten. You can revisit things in your own time and see the things that God's speaking to you personally. I want to strongly encourage that. If you want to write these things down, you're welcome to. These are things we're going to find today, and you can look forward to them. Uh, one is what we need to know to know God. What we need to know to know God. And Jesus speaks of knowing God as a very important thing, a, a priority one thing. In fact, he says that knowing God is eternal life. So there's something we need to know in order to know God, and we're going to find that in the Scripture. A second thing we're going to find is what God is waiting for. What God is waiting for. And here's a third thing, and it may sound a little carnal or self-seeking, but just bear with me because it's not. How to be promoted by God. How to be promoted by God. Now, let me tell you why this is not carnal, because Jesus dealt with this as a serious issue. He, he spoke on multiple occasions about an issue that affected men and women, an issue that affected people in general. I mean, he talked about promotion, and he warned against self-promotion. He said, if you promote yourself, you're going to be humbled. But then he spoke about humbling yourself in order to be promoted by God. We're going to find out what we can do to see that divine promotion come into our lives. Being promoted by God is a good thing. And as we know how to pursue those things, we can be intentional in going about pursuing that exaltation. And it's an important thing for us to pursue. So I mentioned the first thing we're going to find is what we need to know in order to know God. I want to get into the scripture there. If you have your Bibles or you're taking notes, I want to encourage you to turn to or write down Exodus chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33. 
Now, there is an incredible amount of history and information that is in the, the chapter 33 of Exodus and chapter 34. I want to encourage you to read those chapters in your own time. It's absolutely powerful. The entire world is being changed forever in these two chapters. Things are taking place that will affect the rest of mankind. And it's really amazing to put your eyes on it, to see it, to read it. I mean, there's, there's conversation that's being had between Moses and God himself, and it's absolutely incredible. And I want you to see that in your own time. Now, I want to paraphrase a few things so that we can lay the foundation to, to pursue what it is we're pursuing this morning. So allow me to do so. In these chapters, in, in beginning in chapter 33, you see Moses engaging God in conversation. Now, they're talking about some things that are, are coming to pass here. And what has already happened is the people who were once in slavery have been liberated. Now, this is an indication of our life. I mean, I was once in bondage and in slavery to sin. And when I was born again, that bondage and that slavery uh, no longer had a grip on me. For the first time ever in my life, I had a choice or a decision. If I wanted to return to it, that was my choice. If I wanted to walk away from it, that was my choice. But it had no grip on me. It could not hold me captive. I was liberated to walk out. It happened in my life, and it's what happens in your life when you're born again. So this people group has been liberated from sin and captivity, and now they're moving toward the promises of God. And they're faced with some crossroads where they can choose to either go back or they can choose to continue into the promises of God. Now, we have to stop for a second and realize this is me. This is me. Even today, this is me. There's no title that you receive or no, no tenure that comes with being a Christian for so long. Every single day of my life and every single day of your life, we're faced with crossroads and decisions. Do we keep moving forward or do we go back? Now, there's something that takes place here as Moses is discussing this with God. He's talking to them, and he's, he's saying how incredible this journey has been, how magnificent it's been to call upon his name. But then he says something. He reveals something in his heart, and this needs to be in my heart. I believe it needs to be in your heart. We ought to see this as an example that we should follow. He's talking to God, and he's wanting to know him more. I mean, if we were to ask that as a question, just pose it as an opportunity, how many of you this morning would love to know God more? I believe hands would, would go up across the room. Yes, I want to know Him more. But Moses understands something. He asks for something very specific. Now, you're dealing with a man who has conversed with God. And the Bible says as if they were friends face to face. You're dealing with a man who's seen God's power move in incredible ways. You're dealing with a man who has seen God's mercy if you're not familiar with the scripture, uh, Moses is a fugitive, wanted for murder. I mean, that's pretty bad, isn't it? So he's had all of this, this garbage in his life, and he's seen that God still would choose him and clean him and use him. I mean, he's known God in intimate ways. But yet in this conversation, he reveals something. He reveals without one thing, he really doesn't know God. Even though he's seen God move in power, even though he's experienced God's mercy in his life and promotion, even though he's seen all of these things and spoken to God face to face, something's missing, and until that one thing comes to pass, he's not going to know God. He asks God this question. He says, let me know your ways so that I may know you. 
If you're looking for that in the Scripture, you'll see in Exodus 33 and verse 13. Let me know your ways so that I may know you. I've had all of these experiences. I've seen all of these things. I've watched miracles take place. I've seen hailstones fall and destroy the strongest nation on earth. I've seen armies swallowed up. I've seen all of these things. I've seen miraculous things. I've seen incredible things. I've spoken to you. I've heard your voice. But until I know your ways, why you do the thing you do, until I know your motive, until I know your heart, I don't know you. I know what you do. I know what you're capable of. But I won't know you until I know why you do the things you do. Let me know your ways that I may know you. Now, before we move on with this, I want to offer this as a challenge. Let's adopt this as a prayer. A personal prayer between you and God. Father, let me know your ways so that I may know you. Let's introduce that into our prayer life. And it doesn't matter to me if it's in your personal prayer time or if it's over meals or before bedtime. Let's include that. God, show me your ways that I may know you. Show my children your ways that they may know you. Show this congregation your ways that they may know you. Now, the wonderful thing about this prayer, this request that Moses makes, is it's answered. There's a response to it and an extremely favorable response. And God responds to him, you'll see down in verse 19, same chapter, Exodus 33, 19. And God said, I will make my goodness pass before you, and I'll proclaim the name of the Lord before you, and I'll be gracious to whom I will be gracious and show compassion to the one I will show compassion. Now, several things in this conversation come to pass, and incredible things. I want you to read them in your own time. Uh, Incredible statements and declarations are made. Moses is, is, is speaking to God, asking him to be with the people. Let your presence be with us. And he makes a statement that I think is really incredible and we ought to to embrace it as a congregation and in our households and our lives. He, He says, if you're not with us, how are we any different from anyone else in the world? You're what makes us different. Your presence, your spirit, you being here, you being a part of our everyday life, us having fellowship with you is the only thing that distinguishes us from the people you just set us free from. And God's responding to all of these things. You can see here the entire world is being changed. The foundations of your faith are are being established. I mean, so many things are happening in this conversation. And then you jump over into verse 34, where God shows Moses His glory. Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. The word reads like this, Then the Lord passed by in front of Moses. And the proclamation was the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. It goes on to say much more, but I want to stop there for the sake of this morning, the point of this morning. I want us to talk about compassion. I think it's interesting that as Moses would cry out and say, show me your ways so that I can know you. As Moses would cry out, show me your glory. That as God would would reveal Himself to Moses, the first item on the list would be compassion. 
The Lord, the Lord your God, compassionate. I want to talk about compassion this morning because I think it's necessary. If it's the first thing that God reveals about himself, it seems to me that that should indicate to us that it's foundational. That it's priority, that everything else relies upon that. That if compassion is removed from who God is, then everything else topples with it. As if you were to rip the foundation out from under a house, it would not stand. I want to talk about compassion and its role not just in the nature of God, but in our lives. I want to give a couple of passages of Scripture and then we're going to get to a definition of compassion. Now, the reason why I want to do the Scriptures first is because I hope that it stirs an anticipation in us, a hunger in us, and an excitement in us to desire compassion to be a part of our life as it is foundational in the very nature of God. Compassion. A passage of Scripture, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 31, it reads like this. It reads, For the Lord your God is compassionate. And it goes on to say this, He will not fail. He will not destroy you. And he will not forget his covenant that he's made. I want to stop there and just think about this. You could read through the scripture and it could be this wonderful poetic identification of how good God is and how rich his mercies are. But I want us to take a look at it from a little more of a mechanical perspective. To see that one being identified as compassionate is one who is described as one who will not fail one who will not destroy, and one who will not forget their promise. And when I examine my life, I see a a series of shortcomings, and I see a a series of issues in my life where where there have been a a failure to keep my word. I see a series of issues in my life where there have been these, these, these shortfalls. And then you even consider destruction. I see times where I have been destructive, in my actions, with violence, and in my words, with aggression. And I'm thinking, if one who is identified as compassionate is one who can be described as one who's not failing in those areas, who's not being destructive, and who's one who is keeping his word, if I'm failing in keeping my word, if I'm being destructive, if I'm one who is, has shortcomings and failures in the areas that I know I'm called to succeed, then I'm in need of compassion. If it's compassion that identifies the one who's described as that, then I know that that's what I'm in desperate need of. Not to simply have compassion bestowed upon me for the sake of receiving the benefits of compassion, but to have compassion imparted to me so that I can in turn be compassionate. I love that God is described as compassionate. I love that compassion identifies one who doesn't fail, who isn't destructive, and one who will remember their word. And when I look upon the church and I see the issues that affect the church, where you see all kinds of destructive behaviors and you see all kinds of of failed commitments, I see a people who have been hungry to receive the benefits of compassion, but are failing to receive the impartation of compassion to go in turn and be compassionate themselves. I want us to be a people who not only receive the compassion of God and the benefits of it, but are forever transformed to then go and be compassionate. And I believe it's a key to being successful, to being productive, not destructive, and to keeping our word when we make a promise. 
Let me give you another passage of Scripture here out of the Psalms. Psalm 103, verse 8. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. By itself, it's poetic. It's beautiful. It's actually one of my favorite passages out of the Psalms. But again, I want to look at it and think about it with a little more of a mechanical interpretation. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. The Lord is identified as compassionate and gracious. Therefore, He's described as these two things, being slow to anger and abundant in love. Again, I examine myself and I ask, am I slow to anger? Am I abundant in love? And if I'm finding that I'm not slow to anger, but whether I'm quick to lose my temper, and I'm not abounding in love, then I'm in desperate need of compassion to prevail in my motives, in who I am, and how I function, and, and how I think, and how I begin to perform in my actions. Compassion is necessary in order to live, and when I say live, I don't mean to have a pulse and to breathe. I mean to live the life that Jesus brought. The abundant life. I think there's a lot of people that are alive, but they're not living. And for you and for I, we've been called into life. Now, when I was born again, though I tell people I was dead and I was brought into life in Jesus, my body was living, my heart was beating, I had a pulse, I could fog up a mirror. But when I gave my life to Jesus, I came to life. That's the life that we're looking at when we consider this. Compassion is necessary in order for us to live. I want to give you a couple of passages of Scripture. Psalm verse 40, or Psalm chapter 40 rather, excuse me, verse 11. It reads like this, You, O Lord, will not withhold your compassion from me. And your loving kindness and truth continually preserve me. My preservation, my being kept alive and living in the midst of God's favor and blessing is rooted in God's compassion toward me. Psalm 119, verse 77, it reads like this. May your compassion come to me, that I may live. So I want to talk about compassion. I mean, there's a foundation laid there. I mean, obviously, the table's been set. And now it's time to sit. And I want to indulge in an awareness of what compassion is. I, I, I want to just turn even to the dictionary to get an understanding of the word. Because if we read every scripture out of the word with the word compassion in it, and yet we don't understand what compassion is, it doesn't profit us a thing. It just becomes something academically that we're aware of that exists in the Bible. But I know God's called us to more than that, to understand and to apply. So as we turn to the, the dictionary, we look up the word compassion, we come to a definition. Before I share that with you, though, I want to give you a moment, just a few seconds, to ponder in your mind, what does compassion mean to me? What is compassion? How has God shown me compassion? How have others shown me compassion? How do I show compassion? Is compassion active in my life? If we turn to the dictionary and we look for a definition of compassion, you're going to find something similar to this. Compassion. 
Sympathetic awareness of others' distress together with a desire to alleviate it. That tells me something about compassion, that compassion comes in two parts. First part, being aware of someone else's suffering. Being aware of someone else's distress. Being aware of someone else's need. Being aware of someone else's hardship. It's a matter of being aware of someone else's. But you know, in all of those things, whether hardship, whether need, whether suffering, one thing stays the same in all of those examples, and it's someone else's. Someone else's. Someone else's. Someone else's. And in a culture that is is so focused on me, 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 mine, 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 compassion is under attack. Because compassion isn't about yours. It's about someone else's. Compassion by definition, the awareness of someone else's distress, part one. Now part two, together with, here's the second part of compassion, a desire to alleviate it. I mean, you can run this a number of different ways, but in short, it's two parts. One, an awareness of someone else's need, and two, a desire to help fix that problem, a desire to meet that need. Now, words are funny. They have more than definitions. They have origins. And you can find the origins of a word and and, and become more acquainted with and aware of its original intention when the word was formed. If you take the origins of the word compassion, you're going to find the following. A suffering with another. If you break down the two parts that make up the word compassion, you get these two words. Suffer together. With that definition coming into existence, I want to look at a couple of passages of Scripture. I want to look at this one with this in mind. To have a right understanding or a right awareness of God and His heart toward me and toward you. That any bad thinking might be laid aside and and that we can have right thinking at the forefront, helping us affect the way that we perform and the way that we act. I mentioned before we're going to find what God is waiting for. That was one of the three things, what God's waiting for. I'd like to find that right now. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18. Isaiah 30, verse 18. We're going to find what God is waiting for. It reads like this. Therefore the Lord longs to be gracious to you, and therefore He waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice, and how blessed are those who long for Him. So as we wade through the poetry there, because it's so beautifully written, we come to a place where we see something very clearly. There toward the middle, He waits on high to have compassion on you. It's an interesting word there, the word that's used for waits. The word has a meaning to it that I want to apply to this passage of Scripture. The word by its definition could mean to lie in wait. Or a word that we might be familiar with uh, today would be ambush. 
I want to use that as an interpretation. I want to use that as a, a translation, and I want to read this passage again. Therefore, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. And He's going to ambush you with compassion. For He's a God of justice, and blessed are all of those who long for Him. There's something that God is waiting for to bring into our life, to bring it into our life at the right moment so that it would have the right effect. That effect is to bless you, to bring you to a place of awareness of His goodness and His faithfulness as His perfect love is revealed to us. It brings us to a place of gratitude, worship, and celebration, becoming more and more that He is real, that He does care, and that He is near. The timing of those things makes them powerfully effective. God is waiting to be compassionate on us. He is looking for the opportunity and the timing to reveal His compassion. By definition, He's looking to ambush us by sharing in our suffering, by being aware of your suffering and meeting that need. The two parts of compassion. Aware of your distress and desire to bring solutions. We need to see compassion as a powerful thing, an effective thing, something to be celebrated as it's in our life and celebrated as it's poured out through us. I personally believe this, and I think the Scripture backs it up. Compassion's the key to seeing the miraculous. Compassion's the key to seeing the power of God released. I want to give you a list of Scripture and prepare to get a hand cramp if you're taking notes. Matthew 9.36 Matthew 14, 14, Matthew 15, 32, Matthew 20, 34, Mark 1, 41, Mark 6, 34, Mark 8, 2. Okay, there you go. It'll be online. Luke 7, 13. That's okay. Don't worry about it. The point is, is that this is in the Word. It's repeated in the Scripture. You're going to find it throughout the testimony of Jesus Christ in His preaching ministry, in His release of the power of the Holy Spirit on the earth. You see compassion at the forefront. I want to read you just a few of those scriptures. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, it reads like this. Jesus, when He saw the people, He felt compassion for them because they were distressed and they were without a shepherd. The Word said He goes on to teach and He goes on to minister to them. Matthew 14, 14. And when he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and he felt compassion for them and he healed their sick. I mean, I look at that and I see two things here. Compassion and then ministry. And I don't think that that's a coincidence. I want to encourage us to take on the mentality that it's more cause and effect than anything. And that we can be a people who hunger to see the power of God, the things of God, the miraculous. Oh, we want signs and wonders. Father, send signs and wonders now. And I would say, hey, let's start with this. Father, send compassion. Bring us to a place where we can be a compassionate people, where we can see the hurt and the suffering of others, and we can understand their pain, we can be aware of the things that they are going through, and that we can desire to see them assisted, to see them relieved, to see that affliction stop. We release compassion. Mark chapter 6, verse 34 reads like this, Jesus went ashore and he saw a large crowd. And he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began to teach them many things. That tells me something, even in my life here with a microphone, standing in front of you speaking. 
that I could stand here and I could deliver a message and a word. And it could be entertaining to hear or maybe interesting. But if my motive can be compassion, it can be powerful. If my motive can be to see the families and the households, the hurts and the needs, the sufferings, the things people are going through, if I can see that and my heart break for that and my heart's desire to be to bring relief to that, then these 30 or 40 minutes could be really powerful. Compassion is a motivation. Just like Moses said, I want to see your ways. I want to see why you do what you do. What makes you tick? I've seen what you do. I've heard what you say. I've seen the effects of it, but I want to know why. Show me. Show me your ways that I may know you. And the first of those ways was compassion. Compassion is a way. And it has the opportunity to be a way in me and in you. All because of the work of Jesus Christ. So as we pursue compassion, I mean, what do we do? As we introduce that into our life, our prayer life, Father, we want to know your ways so that we can know you. Father, we desire compassion. Let us be a compassionate people. What does that look like? What is it that we can apply? I can tell you Jesus is the perfect example. I'd mentioned to you before we're going to find how to be promoted by God. You're going to find it in this passage, but it's, it's... Don't let that distract you from what brings it to pass. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn to the book of Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Remember, the focus is compassion and seeing compassion released into our life for the purpose of seeing the results of compassion. To see that two-part that's so necessary, that two-part powerful tool that is at the very nature of God, that awareness of others suffering and that desire to relieve it. Philippians chapter 2, I want to read 11 verses of Scripture here. And we may stop a few times. But as you read along with me, I want you to to let, let the Word really set into your mind that something's being revealed here, something incredible and powerful. It begins like this, Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, now pay close attention to this, if there's any affection or compassion, Paul says, Make my joy complete, By being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, and united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Now as I read this, I believe that he's about to reveal what that one purpose is. So he's saying, he's getting everyone's attention. He's saying, hey, all of you believers, all of you Christians, hey, pay attention to this. If there's anything in you that's remotely compassionate, then be focused on this. Verse 3. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Don't merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. Do you remember the one thing absent from compassion? Mine. 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 
And the one thing ever present in compassion, someone else's, someone else's, someone else's, someone else's. Paul's talking to us about compassion here, and he's instructing us in how to, to maximize compassion, how to operate in compassion. He says if there's even a shred of it, focus intently on this purpose, don't do anything for yourself. Nothing of selfishness, nothing of empty conceit, but humility. Regard one another as more important than yourselves. Don't just look out for your personal interest, but for the interest of others. And then, so boldly and rightly inspired by the Holy Spirit, He seals it with this. This is the attitude. This is the mindset. Dare I say, this is the ways of Jesus Christ. Just like Moses would say, show me your way that I may know you. Paul is revealing to us the motive of Jesus in every aspect of ministry. And it's easily seen when you read through the Gospels and see and moved with compassion and moved with compassion and moved with compassion. He met their needs. The Word goes on to reveal this, describing the attitude and the actions of Jesus Christ. Even though He existed in the form of God, He didn't regard equality with God as something to be sought after, but He emptied Himself and He took on the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance of a man, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient even to the point of death and death on a cross. Now verse 9. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name which is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow. Those who are in heaven or on the earth or under the earth and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. I want to take that and I want to apply that to my life. As I refuse to focus on mine, 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 and I commit to focus on someone else's, someone else's, someone else's. As I take on the mindset of Jesus Christ and operate in compassion, it opens the door for promotion, exaltation. For this reason also, God highly exalted him. God has such marvelous plans for every man, woman, and child in this place. Plans to excel, plans to prosper, plans to grow in every aspect of life and living. The world would teach us and tell us to, to, to guard our own, protect our own, seek after your own. But God would tell us to take on the mindset of Jesus Christ. To pursue a lifestyle of compassion that doesn't focus on and define itself by mine, 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 mine but that's founded upon someone else's, someone else's, someone else's. And when we come to that place where that mindset becomes our own, based on what I read here, I can't help but think we become very promotable in the kingdom of God. And I want to see this congregation be the most promotable group of people in God's kingdom. I think it starts with our pursuit of compassion. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning.
Oftentimes when we think of compassion, we think of words like pity. I want today for there to be a definition that would be imparted to our minds and hearts that would have an effect. That compassion wouldn't just be a, a mindset or a state of pity. Rather, it would be an awareness of the suffering of those around us combined with a desire to bring solution. And it's not meant to be a burden that's hung around the neck of people. It's meant to be a motivation that protects us from greed and selfishness and all the things that would lead to destruction and separation from all that is Jesus Christ and his kingdom. I want to ask God to affect us at the very foundation of our hearts, at the the place where we begin to function and operate in ministry. The place where we begin to function and operate as, as wives or husbands, as children or as parents. Where compassion would, would be the prevailing force behind any action or any words that we would speak. And based upon what I see here, it, it requires seeking God to do a work in, in two places. I mean, one, our awareness. We need to be aware of the others around us and their suffering, their hurts and their wounds. We need God to move in that that consciousness, that awareness. Father, open our eyes to see and our ears to hear, our minds to perceive those around us and their needs. And then we need God to minister to us in our desires. That we would desire to see that change, the hurt, the wound, the suffering. And be willing to move out of our comfort zone. Out of our prosperity. Out of our life, our world. In order to have a godly effect on theirs. And I want to ask God to do that for us. I'm trusting God for something great to happen in in me and in you. I'm trusting and believing that something will take place even now in this moment. Something may take place in in the form of a process where it begins now in this moment and it continues and continues as we move more and more into compassion. I have to believe that as we step into these things, we're going to love the results and that we'll only be satisfied with a lifestyle of compassion. That selfishness becomes something that becomes distasteful and disgusting. But I want us to come together and I want us to seek God for that. Trusting and believing that we can be a compassionate people. So there where you stand, I want to pray, and I want to pray for us as a congregation. If you want to be in agreement, you're welcome to be in agreement. I want to ask God to do this work in us. Father, we bless your name and we thank you for your word. I thank you for Jesus and his example. We're asking for your hand to move in power in our hearts and in our minds and our lives. Let it be individually that this work would be done in us as individuals and let it have an effect in us as a congregation. But let there be an an awareness of the needs of those around us. Let our eyes be open and attentive to those who are around us. Let there be an awakening, and, and a, a, a spiritual awakening in each one of us 
to see as you would see as you look upon this land. And let our desires come into alignment and agreement with your desires. To not be distracted by our own and all that would be called mine. But let us long for the relief and the freedom, the ministry that those who are suffering so desperately need. Let there be an awareness of compassion in each one of us. As you would define it. Not simply in words, but in actions. With the example of our King Jesus. And let the definition provided to us by His example prevail in all of our thoughts and actions. That we would be changed and transformed by Your Spirit to function and operate in the compassion that You have for Your people. Any perspective that we would have of You that would be false let it be ministered to here and now in this moment that we would see at the very foundation of your nature is compassion. That all of your thoughts toward us are to bring relief from suffering, freedom from captivity, to bring life where there's death. And we thank you for your compassion toward us. And we ask, Father, by your grace, let an awareness of your compassion have a powerful work in each one of us transforming how we view and how we perceive you functioning and operating in our lives. And let it transform how we function and operate in the lives of others in this world. We ask that compassion would prevail. We ask that compassion would be poured out upon this congregation, poured out upon our households, poured out upon our lives personally, that we might receive the relief of your compassion. And that your compassion might flow through us in our words and our actions to bring relief to those around us. In our prayers we do ask, Father, show us your ways that we may know you. Not that our knowledge might increase, but that our lives might change and transform. That as we know you, we would pursue a life to be like you. And we bless you and we praise your name for the compassion that you've bestowed upon us. Let us go and freely give as it's freely been given to us to bring you honor and glory. We ask for these things in the mighty name of Jesus and all the saints declared. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at Champions